Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome once again to History Dweebs. I'm Tim. Welcome to the podcast where we take a lighthearted look at the dark side of history. The topic of our podcast today is Harlem Hellfighter Henry Johnson. Uh, The title of the podcast is The Battle of Henry Johnson. Henry Johnson was an African-American who served with the Harlem Hellfighters during the First World War. We're going to talk about his life Uh, But before we do, let me remind you that we are a uh, true crime history comedy podcast. We use adult language. So there there probably won't be so much adult language now that the five mile sale of devil's not in this one. (laughs) We tend to use more adult language when Brandy is here. Unfortunately, she tends to use more adult. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, Brandy, my mother's very proud of her for that. I, I keep wanting to get up a collection for her so she can go to finishing school because <laughs> I really got, think if she needs that. I think she only got the stage one out of <laughs> like the eight. If she was in a 12-step program, she only made it to the first step, Timmy. Wouldn't you like to see her walking with a book on top of her head? <laughs> <laughs> so um, for all of our listeners out there, please encourage Brandy um, to write, send your emails, encouraging Brandy to um, complete finishing school because... <laughs> Uh, she needs to work on a son of uh, her, uh, her charm, uh, lady her manners, skills. or lady yeah. skills. She, she is not ladylike at all. <laughs> and you know, being on that page, and I don't want to start a whole lot of trouble. Our Facebook page, History um, is a podcast. Yeah, um, there's a lot of unladylike ladies on that. So page, you think, Jimmy. and a, a few of our listeners could a few go, of them could, could use some to, finish school. Yeah, uh, okay, could go to charm school. <laughs> well, they're charming. Women. Yeah, they are very charming. <laughs> they're just not. They're very attractive, They're a little rough very edges. charming. They're but, just very uh, charming and very beautiful. But, but uh, they, they tend to use a lot of foul language. Oh, they're, they're, they're shocking to me. Yes. So if um, foul language offends you, we probably won't use much of it on this, this particular episode. But well, generally we're gentlemen, our, Timmy. Well, we are. We're generally, culture gentlemen. And we're talking about a uh, history topic today. Uh, know, highbrow stuff. Highbrow Timmy, stuff. That we can't do when the devil's here. Right, because she, she likes to talk about... Uh, Crime and serial killers and murder and mayhem. Penises. Penises. Drugs. Talks a lot about penises. She talks a lot about penises yeah. and drugs. Penis. There's a lot of penis talk when she's around. Mm-hmm. Um, but Brandy's not with us today. Um, we hope that Brandy will be with us, joining us for our next podcast. We really don't care. <laughs> well, it's just so hard getting the three of us together because we have such different schedules. And I know you're going to be out for a couple of days. Uh, Brandy's... At, out this afternoon so we try to do these when we can sometimes we we love to do them when all three of us are 
here and are able to do them, but uh, sometimes we just have to go with um, two of us. So today it's going to just be me and the man who's considered the most dangerous man in podcasting, a man who has been called an oasis in the desert of despair, the very honorable, the reverend, the colonel, Charles Beauregard Hawk Walters III, affectionately known as Southern Gentleman. How are you today, Colonel? I'm I'm not good, Timmy. What's what's wrong, Colonel? Well, I took a beating on the page um, from one on of our, our Facebook listeners. page. Yeah, uh, Miss Maggie Glover, uh, Ma- the lovely Maggie Glover, very yeah. talented, and my my treacherous, traitorous niece um, Dominique mm-hmm. about mansplaining to me. Oh yeah, because in the last episode we had to kind of explain some things to you. Had to explain some things to Brandy. Yeah, she accused you of mansplaining. Exactly. And I can't help it that the girl's ignorant, Timmy. <laughs> I mean, you gotta, you tell her things, and then all of a sudden you mansplain it. <laughs> but you know what? Never, ha- never, t- what term never gets brought up, Timmy? What's that? Woman splaining. Do you? Do you? <laughs> does that happen a lot to you? It happens all the time to me. <laughs> Women explain stuff to me all the time that I already know. Uh huh. And they, it, it's just unfair. It's it, it's sexist. I see. So you feel like you're. I'm not being, standing for uh, it anymore, Tim. You feel like you're being. Uh, Woman's playing too. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that because you know I know. So Let, what, okay, what, so I what? get out of the shower the other day. Okay. This weekend I get out of the shower. I get okay. dressed. Whatever. My wife comes in, looks at me. The towel doesn't go on the floor. Well, I know the towel doesn't go on the damn floor. <laughs> That's woman's playing. <laughs> She thinks I'm ignorant. No, I'm lazy, Timmy. I didn't <laughs> pick it up. There's a difference. There is a difference. Woman's playing it. They act like you're ignorant. I know right. it don't go on the damn floor. I didn't pick it up. That's laziness. It's kind of so she was stating the obvious. Right. I see. Thinking I didn't know it. Woman's playing it, Timmy. That cup don't go there. Uh-huh. I know that cup don't go there, Timmy. That's woman's playing it. I see. So, uh, so, so you maybe, get that a lot at home. And you get to hear it work with Brandy. With Brandy. So I'm just telling you ladies out there. Living in those big ass glass houses, watch when you start throwing those stones, because you're probably woman explaining to somebody right now. <laughs> okay, that's uh, all I got right now. Okay, me. well that's that, that's good. All right, so uh, let's let's talk about this topic, shall we? I know you love to do these history topics. I these love like, these history ones because well, yeah. we can we can, like you said uh, when Brandy's here. Uh, you, we got to keep it simple. We got to work to the yeah, lowest common and uh, you know she kind of. You can tell she drags us down. Well, she gets very excited when we talk about uh, blood and guts and mm-hmm. all the penis talk. Chopped stuff. up people. Yeah, she likes that. But uh, today is going to be a, uh, a, a topic about uh, the First World War. Uh, I'm working on a couple of different topics on uh, the First World War, and this is the first of them. Uh, but this one is on um, the uh, Harlem Hellfighters. They were a... Um, unit of uh, African-American soldiers who served during the First World War. As the U.S. prepared to enter World War I in 1917, President Woodrow Wilson faced a major problem. The U.S. Army was far too small uh, to join in the fray. I think I read that they were, or maybe seen this in the documentary, that the ta- in 1917, the U.S. Army, standing army, was 15,000. Yeah, it was a very small Very, very team. small. Uh, and although uh, many African Americans were eager to fight in the war and to serve their country, they were often turned away from military service. Uh, when, the war for, uh, when the United States first entered the war, 
the goal was to raise a million-man army. But after six months, they only had something like 80,000 volunteers. So they was falling. That was coming up a little short. A too. little short. Not uh, folks. Well, I mean, this is like year, year three of the war, right? And it's yeah. just been, you know, it, it's, you know, uh, soldiers were just getting slaughtered in Europe at the time. And um, not surprisingly, people was not rushing to, to sign <laughs> and up it to wasn't, join. It wasn't, it wasn't one like World War II where it was a popular war. Nobody had bombed us. Nobody right. had, Exactly. Know. Exactly. Well, I mean, you, I guess you could say some people were upset at the Lusitania. Yeah, but... But it, it, it wasn't as clear-cut right. as the Second World War. When the United States realized that it did not have uh, close to the, uh, close to the uh, enough of soldiers they needed, um, uh, Wilson decided that uh, they, he would institute a military draft. It, uh, created the, Congress created the Selective Service Act of 1917, which required all men from the ages of 21 to 30 to register for the draft, and this included African-Americans as well. Now, keep in mind, we're, when we're talking about 1917, we're talking yeah. about mo- most of the country, was, or at least in the South, was segregated during, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, with the uh, Jim Crow laws, uh, segregated whites from African-Americans. Uh, North was pretty segregated, too. Yeah, and African-Americans were, were treated like second-class citizens, right? right? So for African-American men, um, this was an opportunity to prove to white America that they could serve alongside white soldiers and serve just as valiantly as whites. So 400,000 African-Americans were drafted under the 1917 Selective Service Draft. But only 42,000 African-American soldiers, including the uh, 369th Division out of the uh, state of New York, uh, served overseas during combat. And that division became known as the Harlem Hellfighters because most of the unit, it was a National Guard unit, it was an all-black National Guard unit, um, out of New York, most of their members lived in Harlem, New York, which was, uh, if you know New York City, Harlem was for a long time predominantly African American, that section of the city, borough. The Harlem Hellfighters would receive their nickname from the Germans who referred to them as Hellfighters. Um, and as I said, 70% of the 369th uh, Infantry Division uh, considered Harlem their home. All right, so the African Americans in World War One uh, served in racially segregated units. It would be uh, it was to the Second World War before the units were integrated in the army, and most was limited into serving in labor battalions. Mm-hmm. So the army really didn't uh, see the uh, trust African Americans to serve. Oh, you know, on the front line as regular soldiers, at least in uh, fighting capacity at that time. The Harlem Hellfighters would fight heroically um, on the front lines in World War I, and the whole regiment would receive the French's highest honor um, for soldiers, the Croix de Guerre. So the whole, the whole regiment would receive that. Um, because of their bravery, the Hellfighters served for more than six months on the front line in uh, France during the First World War and suffered more than uh, 1,400 casualties. Damn. Uh, 
the Hellfighters never lost a prisoner or gave up a foot of captured ground. Their motto, you like his motto, Colonel, uh, God damn, let's go. God damn, let's go. <laughs> As their motto. My motto was, God damn, I'm sitting on this couch. <laughs> <laughs> it's similar, but different. <laughs> right, a little bit different. <laughs> a little bit different. God damn it, turn up the TV. God damn it, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Anyway, the Hellfighters uh, fought for more than six months on the front line and uh, suffered, uh, as I said, more than 1,400 casualties. They spent 101, it's 191 days in the trenches. Now, Damn. yeah, it was, that's it's a, a long, long time. time. When we're talking about the trenches. It was a pretty rough existence yeah, in the was... First World War. Uh, they served more than uh, in the trenches longer than any other American unit. They would be the become the first unit um to american unit to cross the rhine into germany Hmm. Uh, perhaps the most famous harlem hellfighter was a private by the name of henry johnson so i'm going to tell you a little bit about henry because his story is pretty cool william henry johnson was born on july 15th 1892 in winston-salem north carolina you say you want to retire in north carolina I want to retire to Charlotte, North Carolina. To me, I want to have a little two-bedroom cottage just in case I have a guest. I don't mm-hmm. want to have no internet. I don't want to have no cell phone. I want to have me a little sunglass hut on the beach, Timmy. Just you, Renee, and Rudy. Um, they're optional, Timmy. I, they're, <laughs> Is Rudy optional? Um, well, if I don't bring Renee, Rudy ain't coming. <laughs> and I'm not altogether certain that Renee really deserves to come with me, Timmy. So I'm going to go. Retire. I'm going to let Renee retire to Chicago. Mm-hmm. I'm going to retire to North Carolina. I'm going to get a little bit. I'm going to drink myself into oblivion, Timmy. <laughs> I have not drank good, in 30 years. Right. So 30, now you retire. When you retire, you'll be able to. I will drink. I, have you ever seen the movie Leaving Las Vegas? Yes. I'm going to go down to North Carolina, rip me a little bungalow, get me a little So you're going to be leaving hot. Charlotte. Leaving Charlotte, and I'm going to drink myself into a, a, a sad, sorry death, Timmy. I've never, I've never seen you drink, so I, I, I mean, I, I don't want you to see you drink yourself to death, but well, if, if you do drink, it, can I'm, you do it I gotta on Facebook have a Live, goal, Timmy? Yeah, <laughs> I got to have a goal. <laughs> it is a goal, and you're going to die sooner or later. Anyway. I, mean, I think I can do it in a month. You know, at least you can control it, control it that way. Right, you're exactly. going to die either way. Yeah, yeah. All right. It was a pretty sad movie. Uh, I say, but I love Elizabeth Shue. Yeah, I do too. I like her too. She was the hooker, right? She was. Right. She was a sex worker. I like. I like. I like hookers. You know that. <laughs> I know you have a fondness for them. <laughs> well, not, not her. You wouldn't have rented her, but well, no. Do I you mean, buy them? Do you rent them? What are you doing with them, Timmy? You know, it, it's more of yeah. You rent. You don't buy. <laughs> yeah. you don't buy. I bought. Yeah, yeah. You bought. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. You buy, so they, they go away in the morning. Anyway, uh, William Henry Johnson was born on July 15th. We're going to get a lot of help. I know, I know. I know, I know. I, I Believe me, I have a lot of respect for sex workers. Well, I do, too. I love them. They provide, they, they are a, uh, they provide a community service, I think. And they're honest to me. Most of them. But uh, they're nice people. They're just uh, much maligned, but they're, they're good people, most of them. William Henry Johnson was born on July 15, 1892 in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Little is known about his childhood other than he grew up in a large family of sharecroppers in the segregated South. Again, this was after the Civil War. 
much of the South was segregated, and African Americans were regulated to basically second-class citizenship. The family was dirt, dirt poor, and Henry had to drop out of school in the third grade to work the farm. Henry's father died when he was 11 years old, leaving Henry's mother to raise nine children on her own. That's Ooh, pretty tough. That's a lot, of, a lot yeah. of children, Timmy. A lot of kids. In his early teens, Henry moved in with relatives in, living in the north in Albany, New York, where he got a job as a red cap porter at the Albany Union Station. He would typically work uh, 18 hours a day, six days a week. Sounds like the colonel. (laughs) For very little pay. It does sound like you. (laughs) Now, now if they would have said typically works three hours a day, (laughs) who was that? For very little pay. That's you. (laughs) No, three hours a day. Where is our cohort here? Oh, yeah, yeah. That would be uh, Brandy. Mm -hmm. Typically working three hours a day. I'm not even sure if she works three hours a day. Would you, do, you, do, you, do you consider coming in, drinking a cup of Starbucks, then leaving, going home, <laughs> working? <laughs> no, that's, it's a pretty good gig if you can get it. Yeah, it. it really is. Anyway, Henry worked 18 hours a day, six days a week. He promised his mother he would never work on Sunday. The money he earned, he sent home to his mother in, um, down south to support her and her, his siblings. He was well-liked by all who knew him. He loved to sing, and he seemed to always have a smile on his face. So he was, he was a very kind of laid-back guy, considered polite, hardworking, and always willing to help others. Now, on June 5th, 1917, um, like um, many other men, uh, Henry Johnson registered for the uh, Selective Service uh, after the outbreak of World War I. Since the U.S. military was segregated at the time, Johnson was uh, drafted and put in the all-black New York National Guard 15th Infantry Regiment, which uh, was then mustered into federal service and designated as the 369th Infantry Regiment based in Harlem. So uh, uh, the, this is the unit we were discussing that would later become known as the Harlem Hellfathers. Now, they Henry went to basic training in Camp Whitman in Spartanburg, South Carolina, in July of July of 1917. So about you know, a little over 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the unit, the 369th, as I said earlier, they. Um, most of the African-American units were re- uh, regulated to supportive roles, so they got kind of the menial work. They were not trusted or valued enough to be viewed as an effective fighting unit, so it was the dirty work that they had to do, um, and, uh, and that's what basically what the 360th night was uh, assigned to do. They were deployed to France and reached the Western Front, in January of 1918. In France, the poorly trained Harlem Hellfighters mostly perform really basic tasks like unloading ships, digging latrines, uh, and that sort of thing. But now what was going on also at the time, the the, uh, U.S. uh, Expeditionary Force was under the command of uh, General Blackjack Pershing, 
And um, the French army, which had, you know, had suffered severe losses during the war, were eager to get the Americans involved and, uh, in the fighting to help support them, right? So um, they wanted the Americans to be um, taken into their army, but uh, Pershing did not want that. He wanted uh, uh, the American army to be under his control and did not want to uh, have a separate command. But the French were so desperate um, that, you know, they just pleaded with Pershing to please. And at this point, the the American army was not very well trained. Um, They were not very well um, uh, equipped at this point either. Uh, So um, they were finishing their training in France. Basically what happened, the French were just, you know, insistent that the, that they get some help from the Americans right away. So instead of, of giving him uh, giving them France white troops, he assigned the 369th to serve under the French command. So he's basically saying, you know he didn't think a whole lot of <laughs> yeah. this unit. so we're you know uh, the African American unit can um, support the French. So French, of course, were not uh, and are not preoccupied with race as much as the Americans, so they welcomed them. Men were treated very well by the French. And you'll see this again in the Second World War, where um, it's real eye-opening for, you know, if you, if you were raised in, the, uh, in a segregated society where you're a second-class citizen, and all of a sudden you're overseas where you're treated with respect and, uh, you know, you're valued, uh, you know, it's kind of eye-opening. So... Um, the French were eager, you know, they, the French had colonies, of course, in Africa and all over the world, and they, they had a big, their uh, army was made up of a mix, a very diverse mix of people. So they were uh, very happy to take in the 369th. At this point, France had been fighting four long years, and of course they've experienced massive casualties. Uh, they needed reinforcements, and so they, uh, again, sought uh, help from uh, General Pershing, and the 360. He agreed, and the 369th unit began to fight along the French troops on the Western Front. These were the first American troops to see battle in the First World War. The the, the white troops are still training in France, mm-hmm. continuing yeah. their training. <laughs> they didn't train the other ones. Yeah, they're just like here, oh, no. this and go there. And like I said, they were not even well equipped, and we'll get into this in a minute. At this, uh, so General Pershing was first reluctant to commit the uh, black troops to battle. Um, he seemed to value their contributions, but there was political pressure from the United States, to, uh, from you know, back in the states, to keep the black soldiers in their place. And this was a lot to do with you know politicians, especially in the South, who wanted the blacks. You know, they didn't want their um, uh, white soldiers to. Uh, you know, fight alongside African-Americans. So it's just just crazy. So they gave him the grunt work. So, But finally, um, as I said, Pershing uh, allowed the 369th to fight along their French counterparts. And the Hellfighters were sent to an outpost on the western edge of the Argonne Forest in, France's, uh, in France. And, pri- and Privates Henry Johnson and his best friend, who he uh, went through training with, a guy named Needham Roberts from Trenton, New Jersey, were, giving, uh, fr- were given French helmets 
uh, French weapons and enough French words to understand commands from their superior. Uh, on their way to the front, uh, Johnson noticed a stream of wound, uh, wounded soldiers. Uh, many of them were blind and missing limbs uh, walking in their direction. And behind them were trucks that were overflowed with many different corpses. When Johnson asked a white soldier where all the wounded were coming from, the soldier just chuckled and said, you'll find out soon enough. So they're going toward the front where all these folks who are wounded, soldiers who are wounded, blinded by gas or dead are coming back. So it's not a good sign. You know, this is just a side note, but um, if, you, if you're interested in this, you ought to look up Patton's Panthers. Mm-hmm. Um, Patton was kind of a funny guy, and he was running out of tank guys uh-huh. and had a battalion of black tank commanders. Mm-hmm. And they told him he was black, and he, he was a guy who believed that, you know, black soldiers were inferior, mm-hmm. they couldn't think quick enough, whatever. But he got to the point where he said, who, who the hell asked what color they were? I just need tankers. Mm-hmm. Well, in the movie Patton, mm-hmm. where he's given that famous speech, right. He actually gave that speech to the black tank commanders. Now, that's not shown in the movie, mm-hmm. but it was actually, they're called oh, Patton's stand, Panthers. Stand in front of the flag, the yeah. huge flag. That's, uh, they were Patton's Panthers. You can look that up. It's, an, it's a very interesting story, too. I always think of, I always get him, I always get, uh, I always, whatever, I think George C. Scott, and when I think of yeah. Patton, it's just it's So like, do I. Yeah. It's, they, There's some bitch every time wrote. I see a real picture of Patton, it's like, yeah. oh, that's not George C. Scott. And, you know, I think it's the greatest thing I ever, one of the greatest quotes is, no dumb son bitch ever won a war by dying for his country. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You win a war by killing the other guy. Or making the other guy die for his, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, the 369th Regiment was replacing a French unit that had just been wiped out by the Germans' uh, artillery and mustard gas. The American. Uh-huh. I got distracted on that story. I was filling our uh, listeners in. Okay. But my uh, neighbor mm-hmm. went into a nursing home. This is why I got into this story. You know, I love to go down rabbit holes, Timmy. Yeah, go right ahead. My ne- neighbor went into a nursing home. Okay. My boys are small, they're about. The twins are about five years old. Logan's about two. We used to go up and visit our neighbor up there. Mm-hmm. And I met this guy named Charlie. And Charlie was, a, you know, and when you have little kids in a nursing home that are going regularly, everybody gets to know them, you know, sure. because they like to see little kids. And the twins were very cute. Um, but there was this one guy in, in one room that kind of took a liking to him. He was a black man named mm-hmm. Charlie. Mm-hmm. And Charlie was one of Patton's Panthers. That's how I know about that is uh oh, he, he really? told me stories about yeah his fighting and the things he'd done he was a fascinating guy when i used to go up to the nursing home um you know i'd visit my my neighbor matt but charlie was up there and i'd always stop by and spend some time with charlie and that's what made me that's why i got on Patton's panthers yeah. and that's how i know about that but you know it's uh i worked in it i used to work in a retirement at a retirement center and uh, I would talk, you know, I would just, you know, I just doing lawn maintenance and stuff. And uh, I would talk to these folks who were in their 80s and 90s. Now, this, this was in the early 80s, 1980s. So these people were born turn of the century. So they saw a lot of the t- early 20th century. Yeah. And they're just amazing to talk to. And, and you know, 
no one, you know, would uh, most time no one bothered would talk to him or well, he, visit them, and they're just fascinating with all their stories. And he was fascinating because he lived through, and, and it really, you know, not to get into to a lot of social commentary on this, but it was it was very interesting for the boys because they got to know Charlie very well. You know, they're always visiting him, and mm-hmm. so when you know they got a little bit older, and and you started talking about you know the civil rights things, and mm-hmm. you know how Charlie when he came home from the war. Could not go into a restaurant. Yeah. You know, he had to go into the... I mean, he'd done yeah. all this stuff in war, and he could not drink from the same water fountain. You yeah, know? it's incredible. So it, 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 it made it much less abstract to the boys because they were looking at how could you treat Charlie that way? You know yeah. what I mean? It, Little kids. And, yeah. And I, I understand what you're saying. Um, and, you know, it I, it is, like you said, it is kind of abstract um, for some folks, but... Uh, it really has not been that long ago. I, you know, I think I mentioned this before. When I was a kid, uh, you know, I grew up in the '60s. I was born in the early '60s. Well, I started going to movies probably when I was seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. Now, this was after the civil rights legislation in 1964. But the, I remember a theater in our uh, movie theater in our hometown that still had the white only signs yeah. or collared oh, yeah. signs. Uh, I mean, it's with with a little our city life, by it, our house. It's been um, within still, our uh, mine, yours, within mine, a, lifetime. mine and your li- yeah. lifetimes. It there were there were small cities around Cincinnati mm-hmm. that it was accepted that if you were black, you were not to be there at nighttime. Yeah, I mean, the police would literally if the police didn't harass you, the people would. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's it's so for a guy like him, you know, Charlie to to live through all of this change, and you know, he he's been a witness to everything and you know we were pretty young i can remember you know the riots in Mm -hmm. 68 you know we lived in the projects i can remember the national guard being on the roofs of the projects Um, i i grew up in a small town i grew up in portsmouth and it it was segregated i mean Mm -hmm. it wasn't officially segregated yeah but there was an area town it was called bucktown that's what it was called Mm -hmm. it's what everyone called it and that's where you know 90 Eight percent of the African Americans live. They would, they just would not live outside there, and they was they did not feel welcome outside of there. Now that's changed now. Yeah. But I mean, it's been it hasn't been that long ago when we talk about some of these things. It's it's not that long ago. But anyway, back to uh, Henry. Um, so on May on May f- uh, the case uh, anyway the Americans. The Americans, uh, so they start. They started. You know, they're going to the front to work with the French. Now, the American army was so poorly equipped. Get this: in the early stages, that many in the units did not even have weapons. <laughs> now, this That's is some bitch. You gonna send me this, to war? You gonna give me more than a spoon? Now, there were cases in which soldiers were ordered. And remember, this is trench warfare, right? And, uh, uh, you know, you'll have a, a, a trend, uh, um, American or British soldiers, French soldiers in one trench and then maybe 100 yards. You have German soldiers and they're, you know, they're blasting the hell out of each other. Well, you know, every once in a while uh, they will uh, there would be an offensive where uh, soldiers would go, do what they call go over the top. Right. They blow a whistle and then they just yeah. run over the top. Oh, man. Those into, brutal, to, yeah. into basically commit suicide because they just run into uh, machine gun machine fire. gun fire. Well, when they were over, uh, told to go over the top uh, in the what was called dead man's land, 
they were asked to do this without weapons yeah. early on. Mm-hmm. And they were told just uh, when they asked about, well, you know, how Pick much, up somebody's dead. Somebody that, that was exactly dead. was Grab it. They weapon. told him, just yeah. wait, just take the uh, weapon. A guy that had the weapon before you that we just sent over the top. Yeah, just take a weapon off the first dead soldier you see. And, I mean, first of all, I can't even imagine running into just going over the top just to run into enemy fire. But then with no weapons at all, I mean, it's, it's crazy. But anyway. Now, now, and I, I'm trying to get – now, Timmy, this weekend she made me – she wanted to clean out the garage. Uh-huh. Now, I would have gone over the top into enemy <laughs> fire rather than clean out that garage. But otherwise, I'm thinking, I'd be saying, have you lost your damn mind? <laughs> you ain't even giving me so much as yeah. a fork, and you want me to go kill these Germans? Hell yeah. with that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and, it, and I guess in a lot of cases, it wouldn't even matter if you had weapons or not, but still. Yeah, uh, especially when they yeah. say, the dead guy right there, he's only three feet from the trench, yeah. just grab his. Yeah, it, it was just, it must have just been horrific. Anyway, um, on May 14, 1918, the uh, 369th Regiment arrived to the front lines. Henry Johnson and his friend Needham Roberts were posted on lookout duty uh, on the midnight to 4 a.m. shift. Now, this was the most dangerous shift. um, And the only advantage of having lookout duty uh, from midnight to 4 a.m., was that those on duties were uh, given weapons. So mm-hmm. there was that. Um, the, that. That's a big thing, kind of. Yeah, so on May 14th... They didn't 19, get bullets. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. On May 14th, 1918, um, Henry Johnson and Needham Roberts uh, weren't on a lookout duty long before German snipers began to fire at them. Just after 2 a.m., the duo was attacked by a detachment of some 40 German troops. Oh, wow. So now the colonel is going to tell us what happens next. Right, colonel? I am, Timmy. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Now, both men had been wounded here. Now, Robert so severely that he was unable to shoot a stand. But Henry Johnson held fast and fought back with hand grenades and his rifle. After the shots rang out, Johnson and Roberts lined up a box of grenade in their dugout to have ready if a German raiding party tried to make another move. A few minutes later, Johnson heard the sniping and clipping, snipping and clipping, I'm sorry, Timmy, of wire cutters around the perimeter fence. Yeah, and this is where they had the... Uh, that's a barbed wire to the raise barbed wire to protect, wire. As a protecting the perimeter, right? Yep. So he hurled a grenade, grenade toward the fence. Which brought a volley of return gunfire because that makes that aggravates people when you throw hand grenades at them, Timmy. Well, so, especially when they're trying to snip the yeah. wire. <laughs> yeah, they're just trying to do some maintenance. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, anyway, the Germans start shooting back and they're throwing grenades, and Roberts didn't get too far before he decided to return to help Johnson fight, but he was hit with a grenade and wounded too badly in his arm to do any fighting. Yeah, these guys are really fucked up in this battle. Now, Johnson just tells him to lay in a trench and hand him hand grenades, which Johnson threw grenades at the Germans. But there were too many of the damn Germans, and they advanced in every direction. Johnson ran out of grenades. He took German bullets, listen to this, Timmy, in the head and lip, but fired his rifle. In, it's like Michael Meyer fired his rifle into the dark, darkness there. He's getting shot in the head and everything Yeah, else. He, he was... Well, I think you get to this, but I think he had something like 24 wounds or something yeah. like that. He took more bullets in his side than his hand, but kept shooting until he shoved an American cart- cartridge trip into his French rifle and it jammed. Because you can't count up, well, you can't mix up well, cartridges and rifles. Right. By now, the Germans, they were on top of him. And Johnson swung his rifle like a club and kept him at bay until the stock of his rifle splintered. So now then he's he fighting down. him. He's just swinging his rifle at him at this yeah, point. Yeah, I believe Rambo is based on this guy, Timmy. <laughs> he was pretty badass. Yeah. <laughs> Chuck, this is a guy that Chuck Norris had just walked by and said, no, nah, I don't want to fuck with him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, he's he's pummeling these some bitches with, with his rifle. Um, and then he went down with a blow to his head. Overwhelmed, he saw that the, the Germans are trying to take Robert's prisoner. Okay. His buddy Robert. His buddy. Now, the only weapon he had left was a bolo knife. So he climbed up from the ground and charged, hacking away at the Germans before they could get a clean shot at him, Timmy. Now he's I mean, charging with a knife. He's charging. This some bitch, there, there's 40 Germans. They got, well, he's probably put a few down, but mm-hmm. he, they got rifles and everything uh-huh. else. And he's just like, you know what? Fuck you. Fuck it. I got to clean the garage <laughs> when I get home. Fuck you. I don't care. I got a knife. I got a Fuck knife. Fuck you. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he stabbed one German in the stomach, felled a lieutenant, took a pistol shot to his arm before driving his knife between the ribs of a soldier who climbed on his back. So he's stabbing people with Germans on his back, <laughs> then stabs the guy in the back. Now he manages to drag Roberts away from the Germans who retreated as they heard French and American forces coming toward him. Now Henry Johnson slashed and stabbed several German soldiers until the raiding party finally <laughs> And withdraw, <laughs> retreat. They're retreating from a guy with a knife. Dude, this Forty is how of badass them. <laughs> some bitch is. Uh, if I ever go out drinking, I want to. I want to go in a bar with this guy. <laughs> now, when reinforcements arrived, Johnson passed out and was taken to a field hospital. By daylight, the carnage was evident. Johnson had killed four Germans and wounded twenty more. <laughs> Even after badass. suffering, Timmy. 21 wounds in hand-to-hand combat, Henry Johnson had prevented the Germans from bursting through the French line. In fierce 
hand-to-hand combat, the former Red Cap port of the New York Central Railway single-handedly wounded or killed 24 enemy soldiers. Now, who's the guy we – who's a, Alvin York? Yeah, you, you know. That's some bitch at least had a gun. Well, and you think about Alvin York, though. I mean, and it was incredible not, not to take anything away from what Sergeant York did. But you think of, you know, you they made movies about him. Yeah. You know, he Ain't was nobody on, ever heard of this guy. Right, exactly. That's that's the point. So he did get a little bit of coverage. The story was front page news and the press called the incident the Battle of Henry Johnson. Yeah, most I mean, of it was in most it was really played up in France. Yeah. You know, back home he didn't really Yeah, cuz it was the, on the French lines yeah. and they he got cared, some recognition and they didn't really care about being black or white right, in France right, so much. Right. Now, both he and Roberts were given the uh Croix de Guerre, mm-hmm. one of France's highest military honors, but his heroic stand went unrewarded in the United States, Timmy. After the war, Robert Needham and Henry stayed in touch for a while. Now, Needham, Roberts, was disabled by his wounds and unable to maintain steady employment after the Great War. Roberts, he uh, earned a few dollars by giving paid lectures about his wartime experiences in the early 40s and gave radio addresses and other speeches as part of the Army's effort to recruit African Americans for World War II. Roberts died in Newark, New Jersey, April 18, 1949, was buried at Fairmount Cemetery in Newark. According to news accounts, Timmy, him and his wife Lola jointly decided to commit suicide and hung themselves in the basement of their home. Yeah, and, it, and again, this is the guy, I mean, these guys came back, you know, as I, we said, they went to France, they were... Uh, yeah, they were fighting in the most atrocious conditions. And they were, you know, they were valued by by the French. Uh, but when they got back home, they yeah, were they still... they can't even they get a job. Back, they were back to being second-class citizens again. Second-class citizens can't, probably can't get a job. He's, he's right. you know, going around trying to talk a little bit to make a little bit of money, but... Right. Um, but the fate of Henry Johnson was just as sad to me. Like hundreds of thousands of young men, American men... He returned from World War One, tried to make a life for himself in spite of what he had experienced in a in a very strange and distant land. Now, with dozens of bullets and shrapnel wounds, he knew he was lucky to survive. All told, he'd suffered 21 separate wounds during that battle. Now, here's where it really gets messed up, Timmy. His discharge records were messed up, made no mention of his injuries, and he was not only denied his Purple Heart, but his disability allowance. Yeah, so he's coming back. He's disabled. He's not. He's not getting uh, any help from the army at all. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. And you know, a, a purple heart's a funny thing because you don't really win two purple hearts. You can only win one purple heart. My brother-in-law had. They say that he won two purple hearts. Mm-hmm. He was in Vietnam. Right. But a purple heart, what they do is they give you the purple heart, the first one, and then every wound after that, you get a little star to put on the purple oh, heart. Okay. So he wouldn't even have had enough room to put 20 stars right, in that purple right. heart. But anyway, um, he's uneducated, and he's in his early 20s, and he, Mr. Johnson has no expectations that he could correct errors in his military record. He tried to carry on as well as a black man could in the country, and he'd been, he'd been willing to give his life for. In 1919, co-founder of the American Legion, Teddy Roosevelt, son of the former U.S. Teddy President. Jr. Teddy Jr. I'm sorry, Teddy Roosevelt Jr., Timmy, you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, son of Teddy Roosevelt, referred to Johnson as one of the five bravest Americans to have served in World War One. 
Returning yeah, Teddy home. Roosevelt Jr. served with distinction in the First World War, and he actually died during the Second during World the second, War. During the Second, yeah. He was at D-Day. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't die. I think he died I, of a heart attack. I, I was going to say, I think he died of illness or yeah, something. Yeah, of a heart attack, I think. Um, but he, he was at the D-Day landing. Yeah. So, returning home after the war now, Sergeant Henry Johnson participated with his regiment in the Victory Parade on Fifth Avenue in February 1919. He got paid to take part in a series of lectures. He appeared one evening in St. Louis, and instead of delivering the expected tale of racial harmony in the trenches, he revealed the abuse at which black soldiers had suffered, such as white soldiers refusing to even share a trench with blacks. Now, that did not go over well to me. Soon after this, a warrant was issued for his arrest for wearing his uniform beyond the prescribed date of his commission and paid lecturing, and all his paid lecturing engagements just dried up. Yeah, now how, I mean, how many people get charged with wearing your uniform after your commission is over with? Yeah. Uh, Obviously, he was being charged, so he would shut up about uh, the injustice of how African-Americans were Everybody wanted to hear a story about how great the white soldiers Mm -hmm. and the black soldiers got along, and when Mm -hmm. he came home and said, no, that ain't really true. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, with no other source of income, Henry Johnson made it back to Albany, New York, and he resumed his job as a red cap porter at the train station, but he could never really overcome those injuries, and his left foot had been shattered, and a metal plate held it together. Um, He was denied a disability pension. He tried again. He denied the Purple Heart, despite the lack of official recognition from um, from the U.S. government there, Timmy. Yeah, that's a shame. Yeah. And uh, his inability to hold da- hold down a job led him to drink heavily. In 27, he developed the consumption, Timmy, and became unable to work. With no social safety net in place at that time, he ended up living in the streets. Uh. Um, he ended up dying of myocarditis in on July 1st, 1929. He was only 32 years old. Oh, what a shame. He was buried in a pauper's field. He was a he was a man. He was bar- buried in a pauper's field in Albany, New York. Well, I think they think they thought at the time he was buried in pauper's field, but you'll Yeah. Yeah, but this Oh yeah, it turn. was believed he was buried. Yeah. Now, he earned the nickname the Black Death in combat by the enemy, and that <laughs> I was bet quickly he did. forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> now, unfortunately, Johnson's treatment was not atypical of African-American soldiers returning home from the war, even though they have fought for freedom abroad. They returned to a country still segregated by race. The Jim, Crow, Jim Crow laws in the South and strong prejudice in the North reminded the black soldiers that despite everything they'd done, they were still second-class citizens. Several members of the Harlem Hellfighters would end up actually being lynched in the South, oh, Timmy. How, I mean, uh. Yeah. Interest in obtaining fitting recognition for Henry Johnson grew during the 70s and 80s, Timmy. In November 1991, a monument was erected in Albany, New York's Washington Park in his honor, and a section of Northern Boulevard was renamed Henry Johnson Boulevard. In June 1966, he was posthumously awarded the Purple Heart by President Bill Clinton. So that's what, when was that? 1996. That was like 80 years later. Yeah. Almost 80 years later. 2001, 72 years after his death, it was discovered that um, he'd not been buried in a papa's grave, but as everyone believed, it turned out he'd been buried with military honors at Arlington National Cemetery. Ah, that's good. So he yeah. was buried. He was buried in Arlington. Now, historians who located his burial place believe that.
that there could be no more appropriate honor for this man who proved his valor on the night of May 14, 1918, in the Argonne Forest. In February 2003, the Distinguished Service Cross, the Army's second highest award, was awarded to Sergeant Henry Johnson. John Howell, a Vietnam War veteran who had campaigned tirelessly for recognition for Johnson, and U.S. Army General Nathaniel James, president of the 369th Veterans Association, were present at the ceremony in Albany. In 2012, some unpublished papers of General Blackjack Pershing were discovered. Included in these papers were a handwritten recommendation from General Pershing nominating Henry Johnson for the Medal of Honor. That's amazing. So his mm. papers were found 100 years. It was like 100 years ago. Yeah. So they found his, these papers from Pershing who had who intended to nominate him for the Medal of Honor. But for some unknown reason, it was never submitted. Now, But on December 3rd, Timmy, 2014, and that will be what, roughly? Four years, three years ago? Yeah, but I believe this almost 100 uh, years 90, later, Timmy, 90, 96, 96 years later. 96 years later after the war. The National Defense Bill included a provision added by Senator Chuck Schumer to award Johnson the Medal of Honor. On May 14th, 2015, the White House announced that Sergeant Johnson will be receiving the Medal of Honor, obviously posthumously, presented by President Barack Obama. In the June 2nd ceremony, Johnson's medal was received on his behalf uh, by the Command Sergeant Major Lewis Wilson of the New York National Guard. President Obama said, the least we can do is say, we know who you are, we know what you did for us, we are forever grateful. All right. So uh took 100 years, but... Did him no good. I know. But at least he was officially recognized by the U.S. government. That's, um, you know, I, I think it probably happens in a lot of cases where guys uh, serve with distinction and don't get recognized like they should. But, it, uh, you know, the element of racism in it makes it even worse. But, oh, uh, yeah. All right, Colonel, your final thoughts on – oh, by the way, that that 369th is still a, a regiment. I mean, it's still a fighting yeah, regiment. They served uh, honorably mm-hmm. in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. Wow. So uh, your final thoughts on Henry Johnson. He's an amazing man. I'll tell you what. He's he's a guy you'd want to go out drinking with. and He's pretty badass. Guy you want in a foxhole. crazy stuff, but, you know, he just jumps out of there with a knife and sells it, but – what are you gonna do when all you got is a knife? Yeah, that's all you that was got. Such a, yeah, I'm doing a, I'm as I said, I'm doing a couple. Well, actually, three stories on related to First World War, and it was such a terrible war and such a horrific war. Uh, but some interesting stories. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, now we want to give shout outs to all of us, all of our all listeners of our who listeners. support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us on Patreon, just go to Patreon.com/slash/HistoryDweez, where you can give a little. You can give a lot or or just a wee little bit to me. Every little thing helps, and we certainly really, really appreciate it. Before we do that, I want to I owe a shout out to Kimber on our Facebook uh, group, in our Facebook group, uh, History Dweebs, a podcast. Uh, please join us there if you're on Facebook. Uh, just look up History Dweebs, the podcast. We'd love to have you, but a uh, special shout out to Kimber. And uh, also thanks, special thanks to Karen Barnes, who's been tirelessly advocating for she us. She has been. 
And, and we should mention that she was probably single-handedly responsible for us oh, and I, yeah. getting nominated for that award, which yeah. we're very proud of. But Yeah, um, we were Tamara nominated really... for a podcasting award for uh, People's Choice from the mm-hmm. uh, uh, Discover Pod. So we were, we were very honored about that. And Karen uh, really, I mean, she really advocated strongly for us. So oh, thank Karen, you, Karen. Karen can be bossy. She <laughs> Get on top of people now. But we we love you, Karen. Thank you very much. Okay, so Colonel, you want to give a shout out to our Patreon supporters who we also Ex- love. Absolutely, I do. First of all, we got Terry. Yes. Big Terry. Alicia and Chip, Jim Moyer, Tommy Lane, Jason Dykes. Jim and C- Jason Jim Jason Seabright. submitted a script for us that we're going to get to later in a week. Brandy wanted to be Brandy loved the script that Jason submitted, so I promised her I, we wouldn't do it until she was here. So that's why we did. Yeah, and do it Jason, today. I hope your arthritis gets better. You, uh, you, well, yeah, he has an arthritis of the knuckle. So. Yeah, you little bitch. I got arthritis <laughs> in both thumbs, my knees, my hips. Now, wait a minute, he's, and my a, he's a member of the. Is he the son? Was I know, of the and Colonel? it and, and it and it just discouraged me to hear somebody. Timmy, I got to wear braces at night on my hands. Uh huh. Because my thumbs are so mangled up. I need a knee replacement. You know what I am? Just I, I'm I know a you're one falling man apart. Walking junkyard. Yes, and, and he it, puts on there. He's well, putting he's, on the desk, y'all. For well, he is the son. He claims to be a son of a Colonel. I, I'm. I, I love Jason. But toughen up, son. Toughen up. James Seabright, um, Aaron, our lovely Aaron Fowler, Nene. Yes. Um, our Midwestern girl, Shelly Garrett. The lovely um, Shelly Garrett. You Bridget Clavey. Shelly was here for the uh, WeepCon. She and, was. And, of course, uh, Bridget uh, from Wisconsin. We, we had a yeah. chance to meet her at CrimeCon last year. We're hoping that she can make it to CrimeCon in May so we can see her again. Brandy McBride and Bridget Bernhardt, Jennifer Svoda, Maggie, who I... Uh, you had a little run-in with. Uh, no, Maggie just corrected me. Mm-hmm. She corrected me, and I, I respect Maggie a great she deal. She does not like your mansplaining. She called me out on it, and I mm-hmm. figured that she might. Um, Maggie is a very, very, uh, very outspoken woman. She's a very she's talented a very, writer. She's a very, she's very intelligent woman, mm-hmm. and she woman-splained to me how I was wrong to yeah. me. Well, that's good, because, you know, she... She's very articulate. She, she is. Mm. She is. So Stacy and Marsha Boris, um, Stacy, I'll sub Jody Wells with that handsome little dog. We just dog really recently had a birthday. So happy birthday, Jody. Happy birthday. Daniel and Amber Sweet, Christine Hawa, uh, Amber Anderson, um, mm-hmm. Cheryl Weldon, They Walk Among Us, Ben and Rosanna. Our good friends, Ben and Rosanna from They Walk Among Us. Yeah. And of course, uh, Rosanna's brother. Ricky, Ricky with the Squirm podcast. Yeah. Very funny podcast. Laura Violet, Michael Dale, uh, Mistress Vader, Kelly Charette, Karen Widener, Kelly, lovely Callie Jones, Joseph Kern, Lauren Meredith. I, You know, I think Callie's got to be related to me somehow, Timmy. You think so? Yeah. Jessica Greeno, Pleasing Terrors, Timmy. Yeah, Mike Brown with the Mike Ple- Pleasing Terrors podcast. Sarah Bloom, Amber Croup. Um, we got Joe from Now America History Podcast. Yes. Rebecca Omelet. Great history podcast. Cheryl, of course. Catherine. Cockroach Richardson. Fiona Crisp. Laura O'Reilly. Donna Curran. John. Sue Story. Christine Bourgeois. Christine Bourgeois. The lovely Maja. Anon. Kimberly Cameron, who we hope things are turning up for you, Cam. We, we know you 
Kimberly, had a little bit of a hard week very last week. talented lawyer yes and i would not want to be on the other and, side well, of you know aisle. i think the problem and you know i think she sometimes has uh men mansplaining things to her and she sets them straight yeah i would imagine she, <laughs> yeah. she's much like maggie that she will set you straight elise uh history goes bump diane Yes, Diane Student. Amber Trevino and that portray Lise Amber Scoville Jahara. Your, your Dolphins mangled my Broncos yesterday. That breaks my heart. Um, Mrs. Smith, um, Jeff and Don Chestnut, Andrew Hap, Karen, Karen, of course, Barnes, Rachel Flynn, Holly Woodward, Shirley, Squirrely Shirley, Strap. Hey, Shirley. Todd Long, Lydia Fisher, Tyrone, Phyllis Munson, Melissa Montana. Toya, Brittany Irvin, Jennifer and Cindy, Jennifer Siemens, Cindy Lou, Kristen Heatherpool, and our friend from the Vanish podcast. Yeah, Marissa Jones. Marissa. Um, Zachary Deloche, uh, Christy Lee, lovely Christy, Canadian Christy Lee. Canadian she, true although crime. She's not a Canadian. Yeah, but the podcast is tr- Canadian yeah, true crime. Canadian it's true crime. Podcast. It is a, wonderful. Yes. Charlie and Allie, Tracy Smith. Um, Jess from Kiwi Crimes. Another great podcast. Mm-hmm. A, uh, our, probably our most dedicated listener, Timmy, I would say. Um, and our mascot, Rudy the Wonder Dog. Timmy. Rudy the Wonder Dog. Rudy the Wonder Dog. And we cannot end the show without a shout-out to, uh, to uh, the royalty of the show. The matriarchs. We got Lady Beverly. Yes. Who we as hope, we hope is recovering well. She had a little 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 pain the other day, and we hope she's doing well. Yes. And, and really, if we had a queen, Timmy, if we had a queen, it would be Dottie. Uh, my mom. Dottie uh, is definitely she's, nobility, she's getting, and we and love she's Dottie. Better, so. We're glad we, she's healing up. Yes. So thank you all for listening. We are hoping to have another podcast out uh, later in the week. I'm always hesitant to do that, say that because some things, sometimes things come up and we're not able to do that. But we do appreciate your listening, and we'll see you next time on History Dweebs. Bye, everyone. Good day. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.